you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I said last Sunday this was the longest short study that I've ever done because uh, it's taken several months to get to it since we had to take a month off for uh, COVID on Sunday evening. But we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I always like to include verse 10, because it says, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We have looked at the phrase, for by grace. And we realize that grace is God's direction on how we can be saved. He tells us in His Word, and therefore, it's important that we understand that that is how we are saved, by doing what God's Word tells us to do. And it's through faith, because when we hear that message from His Word then by faith we accept it and it puts us into action to do what God has told us to do. Last Sunday evening we looked at not of works, lest any man should boast. We understand that there are certain works that we can do that are not going to save us. They're not going to do, a, do, a, do us a bit of good. And that's the works that we can boast of, you know, where we've done something and we can proudly say, oh, look what I've done. That's not going to save us. And it's not the works that you or I could come up with that's going to save us. It's the work that God gives us to do that we must be obedient to. And so tonight I want to back up a little bit and look at the phrase, and that not of yourselves. It's an important phrase. It's a short phrase. But there's more to it than meets the eye. It's important for us to study it very carefully. Because when Paul said that it's not of yourselves, he was talking to the Ephesians about their salvation by grace through their faith. And it's as if he is saying, you didn't save yourselves. You could not have saved yourselves. And the same is true for us. I know that on the day of Pentecost, Peter said, save yourselves from this untoward generation. And it's something that's very important that we save ourselves, but it's not by the things that we come up with. It's by doing what God tells us to do that we can save ourselves. There is a very obvious reason why they could not save themselves, namely because it was only through divine grace that has the saving power. And no mere mortal has it within their power to generate such grace. Oh, you hear many preachers that are out there in the denominational world there may even be some in the church that come up with their own ideals of what someone has to do in order to be saved. But if it's not what God's Word says we must do in order to be saved, it's not going to save us. And it doesn't really matter how good it sounds or how great it makes us feel. If it's not God's Word, then it doesn't have any power. And so I think that we can see that 
Grace comes from God. And Paul wrote to Titus, and this is what he said in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now listen very closely to what he goes on to say in verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should walk, or that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Paul tells us there that the grace of God brings salvation and that that's the kind of grace that we need to be concerned about tonight as we look at these verses. You see, salvation is a product of grace. And grace is the unmerited favor that only our Heavenly Father can bestow upon anyone. Grace that saves is not of ourselves. We can't make it up. We can't come up with a plan. It's only God's grace that has the power to save our soul. And so grace, as we've learned from Titus chapter 2, grace that saves is a teaching grace. <clears throat> so how does that grace teach us? <clears throat> Paul said that it was accomplished by the information from above that calls man to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to look anticipating or to look anxiously for the coming of our Lord. Concerning that, that, that ungodliness that man is to not to deny, ungodliness is that which is not like God. Ungodliness is something that we should not want to do. Or, how, or we don't want to be participating in ungodly things. God, ungodliness goes against everything that God wants. And ungodliness is for everything that Satan wants. And so if we're living an ungodly life, we're living to please Satan as opposed to serving God. And so it's very important that we know what godliness is. And how do we understand what godliness is? Through the grace of God. God shows us in His Word what He likes and what He dislikes. What He approves of and what He does not approve of. What, it, what is it that teaches all men to deny ungodliness? It's the plain, simple, unadulterated gospel of Christ. The Word of the living God. That's what saves souls. Jesus said, you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Only that truth has the power to set us free, to make us free. 
Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. <clears throat> we find those words mentioned there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. For they themselves show us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. It was the entering of the apostles, specifically Paul and Silas, going into Thessalonica, and they brought the information that caused these people to deny ungodliness and to turn from their worldly lust and to turn away from their idols and do the things that God wanted them to do. I want you to also observe how this harmonizes with Titus 2. The teaching of grace is equated with the entry of these inspired men like Paul and Silas. When they went into the city and they took the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel or the grace of God was being extended to those people. And when they heard that gospel, you can see the reaction that they gave up things of the world. They stopped doing those ungodly things. Why? Because they had been taught godliness through the gospel of Christ. And, they, and the denial of ungodliness equates to their turning from idols that they worshipped. We also see that they looked for the glorious appearing of Christ. And they did that because of the teaching of Christ or the gospel that Christ would return again. And so they were waiting for the Son of God to return from heaven. It's the same thing we do today. We're waiting for the Lord to return. Why are we waiting? Why are we expecting the Lord to come back? Because the Gospel tells us that. God's Word tells us that He's coming back. The redemption that comes to all the saved is mentioned in both of those texts. And all of this emphasizes that grace teaches man what to do in order to be saved and what to do to continue to remain saved and that it is not of yourselves. What man could know how to, to deny ungodliness and worldly lust all by himself? We look in the world today, we look in our society today, and we see people that you never hear them talk about God. You never hear them mention God's Word. But you hear them talk about the things that we know that are sinful, that they sometimes will say that those things that are sinful are good. And so they change good to evil and evil to good. And you see that today. And part of that is because of the ignorance that they have of God's Word. And the ignorance of their, the fear that they should have for the Almighty. The respect for His Word and the trust in what it says that we need to do. I want to encourage you to research to see if you can find any group of people in history 
who without the Almighty God ever accomplished anything that was that near that even comes close to what Christianity offers us. Find a, a group of people that was able to come up with something that was morally correct and true outside of the Bible. That's what God's Word does for us. You can't find a society like that. Human beings unaided by divine power are unable to provide a way of salvation for themselves or any other part of the creation without a higher power. We need God. Our world needs God. And brother, we need to be that light out there in the world to help them to see that God's made a difference in our lives. No doubt, you, have, you may have heard of the humanistic movement. And that is man's way of saving himself. That it is man deifying himself and denying God. Putting himself on that pedestal. Putting himself up to be something that should be worshipped. As such, humanism is the very opposite of Christianity. Humanism stands on the platform that salvation is of man, and Christianity stands on the platform that it is not of yourselves. Man has been trying to save himself for a very long time. And they've been trying to save themselves without God for a very long time. Christianity recognizes the fact that you cannot save yourself. You need God. You need His Word. You need His grace. Salvation to the humanist is a very limited salvation. They want to you know, reduce poverty, illiteracy. They want to reduce uh, ignorance in some ways. And they want to, re, or to, to reduce injustices that take place in our world. And, that that, and really, that's all there is to humanism. There is nothing that promises anything of value beyond death. Absolutely nothing. And you hear those things proclaimed quite often on the news and, and, and on television. And you think about that. When you hear the, the people talking about you know, eliminating poverty and all these other things, do they talk about a better life that, the, that Christ offers us? Do they talk about a better place? There is nothing that they have that they promise anything of value at all. And yet so many believe that humanism is the only way to go. Those who accept the instructions of God's grace and live accordingly will accomplish all that humanism proposes to address and more. You see, as Christians, we should be concerned about poverty. We should be concerned about injustice. 
We should be concerned about a lot of the things that are happening in our world. But we need to understand we must do things God's way. Listen again to the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. He says, For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. We get that part about bodily exercise profiteth little. I remind my wife of that every day. Why are we going to work out? Why do we have to do that? My doctor says that. I say, how long do I have to do this? Forever? <laughs> now sometimes you think it's not helping, but it helps a little bit. But godliness isn't helpful a little bit. It's profitable in a lot. And it would be wise to trash all that humanism offers. You will not lose anything of value to this world. The way to real wisdom is to recognize how frail we really are and lean entirely on the only true and living God and learn His ways. You listen to some of these politicians and people talk and you think that we could conquer the world. That we're going to fix everything. And I think, do you realize how big this world is? And you're going to fix it? Life is not of ourselves and neither is salvation. So let's consider some of the other verses that are found in the Scriptures. Like Psalms chapter 39 and verse 4, where it says, Lord, make me to know my end and, to measure, and the measure of my days what it is that I may know how frail I am. Brother, we need to be reminded that life is short. We need to be reminded that our days are full of trouble. We need to be reminded that we have no promise of tomorrow. And we need to understand that we have no control over what happens in the very next minute. And as I've said many times at funerals, that's one of the good things about coming to a funeral home when someone has passed from this life because we understand at that point that life is short. And it doesn't matter how long someone lives in the span of time, it is still just a drop in the bucket when you look at the timeline of eternity. Methuselah lived 969 years, but it's just as a vapor. The Bible says, appeared for a little while and then vanisheth away. We're frail. Oh, you might want to live forever here on this earth, but it's not going to happen. Because the Bible tells us we're going to die. And so we learn that from Psalms chapter 39 and verse 4. And here is another reason why salvation is not ours. Saving mankind is accomplished only by power. 
much power and a much greater power than any group of people would ever be able to accomplish. And the power unleashed on the darkest sinner is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can change people with the gospel of Christ. And it's not actually us changing them, it's us presenting the gospel and the gospel working in their heart to change them. Paul said that he was not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel. But he also realized that it was the power of God unto salvation. You want to be saved? You can't be saved without that gospel. You can't be saved without God's plan. You can't be saved without His Word. You can't be saved without the blood of Jesus Christ. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Trust God. He says what He'll do. We trust Him to do that. As I mentioned this morning, as we looked at all of those examples, some had done some terrible, awful things, but God was willing to forgive them. And you see, in David's case, he wrote a lot about how he trusted God because he knew God had the power to cleanse him. Do we trust that power of God to cleanse us those who devise their own method of salvation, those ways that men proclaim with no biblical basis, do not trust in the Lord. Therefore, they lean on their own understanding. The expression that we hear quite often, accept Jesus as your personal Savior, says nothing at all about obedience to the Gospel. What biblical basis is there to make such a statement as that? If by accepting Christ as your personal Savior is meant just believe in Him and nothing more, you just try to find that in God's Word. And you won't find it because it's not there. <clears throat> One final verse probably surmises the whole thought that we're talking about. It's found in Jeremiah. The great man Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Well, the children of Israel were trying to take care of their own perils after peril, were ignoring the one that they needed to be listening to. And that was God. And listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 10, verses 21 through 23. For the pastors are become brutish and have not sought the Lord. Therefore, they shall not prosper and all their flocks shall be scattered. <clears throat> Behold, the noise of the brute is come and a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah desolate 
and a den of dragons. O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not a man that walketh to direct his steps. Jeremiah was the only one in Judah apparently who knew that. Jeremiah seems to be the only one to know that you can't direct your own steps. You need to rely upon God. You see, the shepherds or the pastors, as it says in that verse of Judah, had become dull-hearted and had not sought the Lord. And like a lot of modern-day pastors who are more into organizing and managing and promoting and being administrators than they are in being true spiritual leaders, showing people what the Word of God says. When pastors are expected to be organizational people and ignorant of divine truth, they're going to lead people astray. And brethren, there's a lot of people that are being led astray. Like Jeremiah, those today who trust only in what Jehovah God has revealed, only in what the Almighty has revealed. Only what our Lord Jesus Christ has offered, authorized. Only what His apostles taught have surrendered completely to nothing more than the will of God. Their salvation is the only way to be saved. Doing things God's way. It's not of ourselves. We need to understand that. We need to get in the book and study it. And like talked about Peter this morning, not rely on our own strength. Rely on our dedication to the Lord. Because sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. And I'm afraid that those days are going to get even worse. And the question is, are we strong enough? Are we determined enough that we're going to stand up and say what God wants us to say? You see, so many human religious organizations have originated doctrines regarding salvation for their members to do what their members want. And their doctrines don't come from God. Years ago when I had a secular job, they, people knew what I believed. And I had an individual come in one day and he had his new creed or whatever they called it, <coughs> covenant for their church. And it was a denominational church. And he said, I'd like for you to look this over and tell me what you think. And I said, you don't want me to look it over. Well, why not? I know, I know you go to church. I said, yeah, but you don't want me to look it over. Well, why not? Because I believe we don't need any creeds. We don't need any other church doctrines. All we need is the Word of God. 
And I'm sure that in that book that you got there is going to be more than the Word of God. That's all we need. That's all we need to live by. And the grace of God teaches us what we need to know in order to deny ungodliness and to live soberly and righteous in anticipation of our Lord's return. God's grace provides what we need and gives us hope of a better place in the hereafter. We need to remind ourselves over and over again of that critical statement that Paul said that it's not of yourselves. Remember that. It's God that saves us. It's God that keeps us saved. And it's God's Word that we must be obedient to. And so tonight, if you're not a Christian, I'd ask you, what are you waiting for? Why put it off? Jesus died for your sins to make it possible that you could have the forgiveness of sin, to make it possible that you could have a home in heaven. But actually, it's all up to you. The question is, do you want to make that decision tonight? Because Jesus tells us what we need to do. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Very simple passage of Scripture to understand. But when I listen to some of those false teachers, they try to explain it away. But then when you look in the book of Acts, you can ask yourself, were they baptized? And you can see example after example after example that after they believed, they were baptized baptized. For what? The remission of sin. You can do that tonight. Put your trust and faith in our Lord. Be obedient to His will. Be buried with our Lord in baptism. Come up out of that water a new creature to rise to walk in newness of life. And then to continue to be obedient to His will. And sometimes that's where we struggle. And we need our help. We need each other's help. We need God's help. And He'll help us as a Christian to live that faithful life if we'll submit our lives, surrender our will to His and do what He wants us to do. So tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity while we stand and sing.